Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Today's message comes from Pastor Tony Ria. Once again, good morning. Welcome to Community Christian Church. It's so good to have you here on this absolutely gorgeous Easter or Resurrection Sunday. Thank you so much for coming. Are you happy to be here this morning? What do you think of this huge curtain behind me? Pretty impressive, right? Well, we're going to be talking about it in just a few moments, but first I want to tell you a story. This happened a long time ago, like way back in 1961, when I was six years old, my family moved from our house in Detroit to a new house in Warren, the 12 Mile and Ryan area. And it was brand new construction. My dad was the builder. He had the house roughed in and bricked. And then he did the majority of the finished work himself. And the year before we moved into the house, there were plenty of evenings when my dad would take my older brother and me uh, to the house for a couple of hours. We would play with some of the games or the toys that we brought. We would horse around while my dad hung kitchen cabinets, painted, or completed trim work. And sometimes, because we had the run of the house, we would play hide and seek. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, Because at seven and six years old, uh, an empty four-bedroom house had a lot of really neat hiding places. And I remember on one occasion, I found this little room in the basement, tucked uh, in the corner of the house, and it was a, a perfect hiding place. I figured my brother would never find me there. It was dark, there was no light switch, and I I said, this has got to be it. And I was right. He never did come down. And I waited and I waited for him, and then all of a sudden I freaked out, and I, I, I became afraid for some reason, and I gave myself up, I ran out of the room and up the stairs as fast as I could. Well, a few months later, or maybe even closer to a year, Uh, That room was in my mind, and one day I went back downstairs, and I opened the door to that room, and I was surprised to see my father inside that room. My dad was standing next to this huge round container. I didn't know what it was. And as soon as he saw me, he took me by the hand, ushered me out of the room, and says, don't ever come in this room. I do not want you in here. Do you understand me? And I said, yeah, I get it. And I could tell that he was very serious. Well, come to find out, that little room was a wine cellar. (laughs) And I didn't know it at the time, but my dad was a winemaker. And he was good at it. And maybe he didn't want me to know he made wine. Or maybe he was afraid that I would become a young wine taster. (laughs) And so he told me to stay out of the room. Later on, I also learned that that was the place that my parents would hide Christmas and birthday gifts and anything else they didn't want us children knowing about. And so that's why he said, stay out. You see, the wine cellar was off limits to me and my siblings. We could go anywhere else in the house that we wanted to go, just not in there. 
And that is precisely what God said to his people about a little room in the temple that was located right behind this curtain. God said, I want you to stay out of that room. That room is off limits to you. And the reason God said that is because it was his room. That's where God lived. That's where he stayed. And the Bible tells us in 1 Kings chapter 6, and you heard this just a little bit earlier during the voiceover, in the temple that he built for God, King Solomon partitioned off an inner sanctuary or an inner room. That room was called the holy place. The King James Version referred to it as the Holy of Holies. It was located at the far end of the temple, beyond the veil, where the Ark of the Covenant was placed. And this little room was, check it out, 30 feet high and 30 feet long and 30 feet wide. I would say that pretty much goes hand in hand with our 30 series, wouldn't you? And so in this little 30 by 30 by 30 room, the Bible tells us there was a piece of furniture. It was a wooden chest. And the, the chest was overlaid with gold, pure gold. And on top of the chest, there was a lid. It was also gold. It was called the mercy seat. And then resting on the mercy seat were huge, two huge gigantic angels or cherubim. And with their massive wings, they covered and they secured and protected the mercy seat. And in the Old Testament, this chest that I'm describing to you was called the Ark of the Covenant. And most of you should know, because of movies like Raiders of the Lost Ark, that the Ark of the Covenant was a symbol of the presence of God. That was the place that God lived. He lived right there on the mercy seat. That's where he dwelled. In fact, when he talked to Moses and when he communicated with Moses in the wilderness, he said to Moses, I'm going to speak to you between the wings of the cherubim. See, that was the Ark of the Covenant. And so again, that covenant was placed in this little room called the Holy of Holies, and no one was allowed in that room. God said, you stay out of it. Don't go in there and take a look. Don't check for ants or for mice. Don't vacuum the room or dust. Stay out of that room. And the only person who was allowed in that holy place was the high priest. And he would dare go into that room just one time a year on the Day of Atonement. Because that's the day that sacrifice was made for sin. And what would happen is the high priest would take an innocent animal, sacrifice that animal before the Lord, catch some of the blood in a container, then in a very solemn ritual, go behind the, count, uh, the, the curtain or the veil, and sprinkle a couple of drops of blood on the mercy seat, making atonement for the sins of God's people. And the priest did that year after year after year after year for 1,400 years. 
from the time that God gave that design to Moses until the time of Christ. Now, positioning angels as guards to keep God's space safe or to keep it secure didn't just happen in the wilderness tabernacle or the temple in Jerusalem. Remember the Garden of Eden? The paradise island that God had made for his creation? God put Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and he gave them specific instructions but Adam and Eve, they disobeyed God. But instead of killing them on the spot which should have been their punishment, God extended mercy to Adam and Eve. But he did, however, put them out of the garden. And do you remember what he did next? He posted cherubim at the entrance of the garden in order to protect and secure the tree of life. And in the book of Genesis, recorded there a long, long time ago, God said to his creation, to mankind, and to Adam and Eve, you stay out of my garden. Don't go in my garden. God said the same thing about the holy place, his little room in the tabernacle in the wilderness and also the temple in Jerusalem. You don't go there. Any idea why God would be like that? Why God would say something like that? Because of a little three-letter word called sin. That's the reason why God said, stay out of my place. Don't go into my room. You see, when Adam and Eve disobeyed God in the garden, when they failed to keep the instructions that God had given to them, sin entered the human race and sin darkened our souls. And how many of you know that was a problem? Ugly sin, holy God. In fact, that's exactly how the Bible describes God. Not just holy, but holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And in order to keep the relationship going, in order for us to continue to have fellowship with a holy God, atonement needed to be made for our sin. And that's why that sacrifice was made every year on the Day of Atonement. The blood of innocent animals was shed. It happened in the garden when God covered Adam and Eve's nakedness with animal skins. It happened at the Passover. It happened every year on the Day of Atonement for year after year after year. Unfortunately, we're told in the Bible that the blood that comes from innocent animals, the sacrifice of animals, can't really deal with the sin issue. It can't forgive sin. All it can really do is hide it or cover it for a little while. That's all that the high priest could do. Whenever he went into the holy place and sprinkled the blood on the mercy seat, he was just making atonement for sin. Really wasn't forgiving it. Enter Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Pastor Dave made reference to it a few moments ago. That was the prophetic word that John the Baptist spoke 
over Jesus when he saw him, when he laid eyes on him as Jesus made his way to his baptism. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. I hope you caught the phrase, not the Lamb of God who hides sin or who covers sin for a little while, but the Lamb of God who has destroyed the power of sin. That's who Jesus is. That was the prophetic word that was fulfilled that day. And he did it on Good Friday when he went to the cross and died the most horrific death you could possibly imagine, when he shed his own blood for our redemption. Jesus did that on a cross. And when he died, something happened. And I want you to see it this morning. It's the reason why I asked you, or we asked you to bring your Bibles. I want you to see it in the Scripture. Typically, we would display or project these passages onto the screen, but we can't do that for obvious reasons. Uh, so we ask you to bring a Bible. Uh, it's been a while since we've done this, but I think you can get it. I'm going to ask you to please turn in your New Testament to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 16. Hold your place there in Mark 16, and then turn one book ahead of that to Matthew. Matthew chapter 27. And if you have a mobile device, you could go to our website. Both of those passages are listed. Mark chapter 16, Matthew chapter 27. Are you there? We've got a couple, so we're going to go. Matthew 27, beginning with verse 45. From noon until three in the afternoon, darkness came over the land. About three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now verse 50. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, the Gospel of John tells us what Jesus said. He said, It is finished. And so after Jesus cried out with a loud voice, It is finished, he gave up his spirit. And at that moment, the curtain or the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Okay, the scripture tells us that the moment Jesus breathed his last breath, when he hung his head and he died, the veil that was in the temple was torn apart. That it was actually destroyed. The temple veil came apart. And what I want to tell you is that that veil, according to Jewish writings, was a very heavy and durable veil. It was an extremely thick curtain. It was 30 feet high. It was 60 feet long. It was four inches wide. And the, the, the writings that the Jewish put, people put together tell us it took 300 priests to hang that veil. And in Matthew chapter 25 and verse 51, we're told that when Jesus died, the veil was torn. And I firmly believe God did that. That God ripped that veil on purpose. God took the veil out of the way because the blood of Jesus was finally enough. After all of those years of having the blood of animals sprinkled on the mercy seat, the blood of Jesus did what those animal blood sacrifices couldn't do. He finally paid the price for our redemption, he was able to satisfy the penalty for sin. Jesus did that. 
And when Jesus said, it is finished, the Father said, it most certainly is. He said, amen. And after all that time, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, the veil was open and the presence of God was now released and we all have access to his presence. Not because of anything we did or anything we deserved, but rather because God said it was time. Jesus was the one who opened up that veil with his own blood. He was the one who allowed us now to be holy and righteous in God's sight. He dealt with the sin issue, and we are the sons and daughters of the Most High God. Because of the blood of Jesus. And so now that the curtain is out of the way, we can have fellowship with God. We can know him. There's no dividing wall between, between us and God because of Jesus. And so I'm going to ask Mike to come and help me. Mike, where are you? Okay. You see, before Good Friday, I wouldn't have been able to do this. If I did, I'd have been struck down dead on the spot. But now, because of Good Friday, I can come here on the other side of the veil, and so can you, and we can have access to the presence of God. That's what this Ark of the Covenant represents. It's God's presence. It's no longer just that, what the Old Testament said, but it's a reminder of the covenant-keeping God that we now serve. And we have a holy God who allows us to come to him and to come boldly before his throne of grace. So let's give Mike a round of applause. He kind of snuck out. <laughs> Believe it or not, Mike was the one who designed and created both of these props, the veil and also this piece of furniture. He actually made that. And some of you Bible students would like to know, yes, it's made to the measurements and the specifications found in the scripture. Exactly. So thank you, Mike. All right, we're not done yet. I have a question for you. If, in fact, on Good Friday, God tore the veil, and the veil was separated and the wall of partition was taken out of the way. If when Jesus said, it is finished, it truly was finished, that the spiritual work was complete, then why do we need Easter? If everything that had to happen happened on Good Friday, think about it. If Jesus said it is finished and God said, oh yes it is, what is the significance of today? Why do we need Easter? Well, the obvious is Jesus is risen. He overcame death, hell, and the grave. And he was raised to life again. But here's what I want you to hear me say. When that happened, are you listening? When that happened on Easter, Jesus proved he was telling the truth. That everything he had said about himself, everything that he claimed was in fact true. Jesus was telling the truth. Now, uh, we as New Testament believers today, 
we have a huge advantage. How many of you know we have an advantage over those who went before us? See, we have history on our side. We have the story to fall back on. It's written for us in the Gospels. We have been able to read the eyewitness testimony of others. We know what happened because it's in the scripture for us. First, testament, first century believers, they didn't have that intel. They didn't know what happened. And so on Good Friday, when Jesus died, so did all their hopes and dreams die with Jesus. Do you get that? Because they didn't know what was going to happen, their hopes of Jesus being the Messiah quickly vanished. In fact, for them, Good Friday was the darkest day in human history. And not one, not one single disciple, not one of the apostles that Jesus handpicked believed that Jesus would come back from the dead. None of them. Even though Jesus told them that he would, they did not have the ability to comprehend those words. And so on Good Friday, all of their hopes of Jesus being the Messiah went out the window. And how do I know that? Because after they took Jesus' dead body down from the cross and they put it in Joseph's tomb, what did they do? They rolled a huge stone, an enormous stone in front of the entrance of the tomb and they put it in place, they locked it in place and that stone was designed to never be removed. We're also told that a few of his disciples decided to hightail it out of town. So disciples were leaving. Why? Because they expected once Jesus was dead, he was going to stay dead. Even the women, remember all the Marys? As sharp as they were, the scripture tells us early on Easter morning, they made their way to the tomb of Jesus. Do you remember what they had in their possession? Spices. Ointment and perfume to anoint the dead body of Jesus and to give him a proper burial. See, the ladies, they didn't know how they were going to negotiate the stone, but none of them brought Jesus a hot breakfast. They didn't have a pair of sandals or a change of clothing for him. Why? Because he was dead and they fully expected him to stay dead. You see, on Good Friday, it was lights out for faith. And none of the disciples, not Peter, not James, not John, none of them stood up and said, now wait a minute, we need to keep the memory of Jesus going. Friends, way back on Good Friday, after Jesus died, there was no memory. There was no movement. There was no mission. It was over. And it was clear now to all of the disciples that Jesus was not the Messiah. In their minds, he was not who he claimed to be. They probably wondered how in the world they could have been deceived. But now they're convinced he's not the Messiah. They thought he was. They believed he was. In fact, that's the reason why they followed him in the first place. They didn't follow him because of all the miracles or because of his stories or his parables. The scripture tells us most people didn't even understand his parables. And oftentimes the disciples would have to take Jesus aside privately and say, hey, could you explain to us what you were talking about back then? We didn't get it. The disciples of Jesus and all of the followers and all those girls, 
the Marys and everyone else who followed Jesus, they didn't follow him because he was a gifted or a creative speaker. They followed him for one reason and one reason only, because they thought he was the Son of God. They were convinced he was the Messiah, the one that had been prophesied 700 years earlier. They believed it with all of their hearts. After all, that's what Jesus told them. Jesus claimed to be the Son of God. At first, he kept it a secret, but then he started to make some outrageous claims. You can read about them in the New Testament. Jesus said he was greater than Abraham. Can you imagine that? In fact, Jesus made this statement, even before Abraham was, I am. And then he went on and listed all of these outrageous I am declarations. I am the bread of life, and I am the light of the world, and I am the resurrection and the life, and I am the good shepherd, and I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus claimed all of that. And then on one occasion, he actually, literally said to a crippled person, your sins are forgiven. Wait a minute, who can forgive sins? Only God can. God is the only one who has the power to forgive sins. Jesus made those kinds of claims which infuriated the religious leaders. They were ticked and irate and upset with them. They wanted to kill them, the scripture says, because, quote, Jesus made himself equal to God. He said he was God. And the disciples took the bait, hook, line, and sinker. They were 100% convinced that he was the Messiah. They left businesses, they walked away from families, they sold out to that gospel message because they were all in that Jesus was the savior of the world until they watched him die on Friday. And that's when the lights went out. And all of that changed. And every single disciple and follower of Jesus were now convinced that he was not the Messiah. And nothing could prepare them for what happened next. Found in where you're holding in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 16 and verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, a ton of other Marys, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint Jesus' body Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be afraid, he said. You're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. I love that last statement. Don't forget to read those last few words. Just as he told you. Just as he told you. You see, everything that Jesus told his disciples was true. Everything that he claimed about himself, everything he communicated to them, everything that he taught them, it was all true. Jesus was, in fact, greater than Abraham. He was greater than Moses. He was greater than all the prophets. He was greater than the temple. 
And Jesus could forgive sins. And he could heal the sick. And he could raise the dead. And he could cast out demons. And he was the light of the world. And he was the great shepherd. And he is the way, the truth, and the life. And he is the resurrection and the life. Everything he said to his disciples was true. And that's the reason why Easter is so critical, why it's so important. Because it proves Jesus is who he claimed to be. Yes, we can say he's risen. Yes, we can celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But do we understand that it proved that Jesus is the Messiah, the Savior of the world? That's why we celebrate the way we do. And boy, did his disciples celebrate that truth. If you don't believe it, read through the book of Acts. And you'll see what happened, how they got turned on fire for God because of it. All right, let's bow our heads for a moment. Father, we've been singing about, we've been talking about everything that you did from Good Friday to Easter Sunday. And one of the remarkable events of that weekend was you tearing that veil that you installed in the first place. You told your high priest to put that veil up to separate us from your room, the most holy place, and then on Good Friday, you took it out of the way. You did that. And so, Lord, you've invited us to come and know you. You've invited us to have fellowship with you, a holy God. Because you don't see the sin, the darkness in our souls. You don't see the violations. You don't see the mistakes and the failures that we make. You don't see all of our shortcomings. What you see is the blood that Jesus shed for us. And so we stand as righteous in your eyes. And I pray today, Lord God, in these closing moments for the people who have not yet had that revelation, that they would get it today, that their eyes would be open and they would understand that, yes, you're a holy God, but you stand before us with a welcoming posture saying, come to me. Come to me. Minister, Lord, in these closing moments, we pray. Amen. for a holy creator God without guilt without shame or condemnation without worrying about whether he accepts us or not you know sometimes we have the mindset and I think we get it from preachers like me that we have to clean up our act and get it all together and make a bunch of changes before we're allowed to take a step toward God. And nothing could be further from the truth. I dare say right here, right now, God is speaking your name. That's right, your name. He knows who you are. 
whether you're a part of this church and have been here for years, whether you're visiting with us for the first time, whether somebody invited you, whether you're watching online, listening to my voice, God is calling your name. He has a very simple and clear message. I took the veil out of the way. I moved it for you. I love you with an everlasting love. Come as you are. Just come. You see, it doesn't matter how many times we hear the Easter story repeated. What Jesus did on the cross on Good Friday is really not going to mean that much to us until we understand on Easter, he proved he was everything he claimed to be. He wasn't just a good man, wasn't just someone who was gifted by God to do miracles. He wasn't just a great teacher and had love in his heart for everybody. He was the promised Messiah, the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And friends, unfortunately, no matter how good you are or how much you try, you can't save yourself. We all need a Savior because Jesus was right when he said, He's the way, the truth, and the life. It's the only way to the Father. It's through him. In the Bible, in the book of Romans, New Testament book, Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, gives us the plan of salvation. If you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. That's the way to God. Believing in the salvation story of Jesus, believing what Jesus did, and believing that God raised him from the dead to prove that he was the Son of God. And so this morning, if you've never repented of your sins, never confessed him as your own personal Lord, or maybe you have, but for one reason or another, you find yourself in a place that you know you shouldn't be, whether it was hurts, or pain, or disappointment, unanswered prayer, no matter what it was. If you'd like to take a step toward God, then I'm going to ask you to get there, out there on a very thin limb this morning. But I believe the Holy Spirit's going to help you do that. Can I get you to just bow your heads for a moment? I'm wondering how many of you would say, Tony, I now understand that Easter is so much more than a resurrection miracle. It's the day that Jesus proved everything he said to his disciples was true. He is the promised Messiah. He is the Savior of the world. And I'm so done with trusting in my own plan. I'm so done with trying to work my way into the good graces of God. Today, I want to embrace God's plan of salvation, which includes Jesus. If that's you, if you're here this morning and you want to take a step toward God, you want to make a movement toward God, you're just feeling it in your heart, can I get you to just slip up your hand real quickly and put it back down? Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Probably 20 hands have gone up. If you're online and you want to participate in this moment, you can click on to the link there or the tab in the chat. And you can take a step as well. Anyone else before I close out in prayer? Thank you. Anyone else saying, the Lord is moving? Thank you. The Lord is moving on my heart. Anyone else? Thank you. 
All right, let's just pray this prayer together and just keep your eyes closed. Dear Heavenly Father, let's play it all together. Let's pray it all together. Thank you for sending your son into the world to die on the cross for my sins. Thank you for making a way for me, for tearing down the curtain, inviting me, accepting me, calling my name, and making it very clear I can come as I am. This very day, I bow my knee at the cross. I repent of my sins. I confess Jesus as my Lord. And I turn my life over to you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer for the first time, I hope you realize that is the greatest decision and choice you could ever make in this life. And we want to welcome you into the family of God. Let's, let's give them a round of applause. I believe with all of my heart that some of you are very sincere and your world is going to change. Not everything's going to go your way, but it's going to change. And like Dave said earlier, we'd like to help you along. We have a Next Steps booth in the lobby. If you'll stop by there, we have a gift for you. We, we have a Bible that'll kind of get you started. But we want to be there with you as you continue to serve the Lord. Thank you so much for coming today. Thank you for being with us this whole weekend. It was a great weekend. God bless you as you go. Have a great Easter.